It's good to be here today. I was supposed to speak two weeks ago on the snow day. Uh, instead, my in between classes that I did, Dr. Lonis, my wife made me clean out what we call our junk room. Does everybody have a junk room at your house? We have a couple of them, so I was focused on one that day. And I found in my junk room a certificate that I was awarded back on January 29th, 1978. January 29th, 1978. Uh, it was the certificate that I received the day I was baptized. Everybody got the Now That I'm a Christian book? Everybody got those? Yeah, old school, right? But uh, I remember that Sunday because we had a really cool guest speaker at my church in Des Moines, Iowa. And his topic that day was the proclamation that Jesus made that I am the light of the world. It made some of you look. I am the light of the world. Talked about in Genesis, God created physical light so it could dominate darkness, that could rule over it. And the same way in the book of John, he said when the time was right, he sent his son to destroy darkness the spiritual darkness that faces this world. And we live in a very, very dark world. The guest speaker that day, ironically, do you know where he was from? York College. I don't remember which Bible professor it was. I think it might have been Tommy Schultz or somebody else from that era. But that York College professor at my church that day looked at everybody in our crowd, and I thought he was looking right at me because he said, you got a choice to make. Just like what Paul told the Thessalonians that you've got a choice to make. You're either going to be a child of light or a child of darkness. Child of light or child of darkness. If you choose to be a child of light, children of light are awake. Children of darkness are asleep. And they ignore and they miss all the important things in life. If you're a child of light, you are sober and your senses are sharp. And if you're a child of darkness, you're drunk, and your senses are dull and numb. And if you're a child of light, you focus on faith, hope, and love. And if you're a child of darkness, you focus on accusation and doubt, depression, and you give in to hate. And as I heard those things, I thought about me as a 14-year-old, because light and darkness, the thing about light and bright light is it also creates shadows. And when I was 14, I, I thought I was so smart. I thought I was so cool because I could dance between light and shadow all the time. Man, when I was at church or around my mom, boy, I was, a, I was light. I was a good kid. But boy, when I was around some friends and had opportunities to other things, I would sneak around in the shadows. And I'd try to go back and, and forth between, and I would pat myself on the back because I thought I was so smart, thought I was so cool. But I sat there that day, and I was so ashamed of what I had done, and I was so ashamed of what I was becoming. I chose light. So when I'm standing up in the, the baptistry, and they ask me the question, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus was and is the Christ, the Son of the living God? I said, I do. I really do. I remember saying that. I do. I really do. I really do best decision I ever made. It's not the easiest decision in the history of decisions, like that commercial says, but it was the most important one. It changed my identity, and it changed my life forever. All right, new subject. How many of you have been to court? We're making notes, okay? I knew that guy would be in court. I knew it, okay? 
Uh, I've been involved in three court cases in my life. The first one as a witness, the second one as a, a member of the jury, and the third time as my own self-appointed lawyer. The first time was when 1991, I was a new youth minister at a church in Wichita. We were getting ready to build a new building on the growing part of town, but currently we were in a bad part of town. And somebody broke into our church, and they broke into my office, and they stole my, what we used to call a boom box. Do you know this thing? Do you know this technology? I mean, it was a nice one. It was a Sony, and it had double cassettes. It was high-end, baby. The most significant thing about that boombox, my, my future wife, we were high school sweethearts, my, my girlfriend at the time, gave me that boombox for my high school graduation. So I'm in court, and I'm sworn in as a witness, and I'm, they're asking me to describe all the things that were stolen from my office. They said, well, this, that, and the other thing. But what I really want back is my boombox. And I looked right at the defendant. I want my boombox back. And the judge looks, uh, Mr. Lewis, do not, uh, do not speak to the defendant directly, please. Sorry, Your Honor, but I do want it back. And he looks at me and goes. So that was my first experience as a witness. I still caused trouble. The second time I was a member of a jury, 10 years later, still in Wichita, and I was drafted or selected, even though I tried to give answers to get out of it, for a rape case. In this situation, um, a man broke into his ex-wife's house and sexually assaulted her. Um, went through the window, uh, there was a little boy there and all that stuff. So I'm serving on this jury, we heard all the testimony, and we're back in the deliberation room. And if you haven't been in one of these situations, you got a head juror who's in charge, and you got 11 other people, and we're sitting around a table, and he initially says, I'm at the very last person, but go around clockwise. What are your thoughts right now? And I couldn't believe it because people on the jury were saying, well, you know, sometimes sex stuff is a two-way street. You know, sometimes it's hard to give up on an ex thing. And, you know, and he said that she, she was consensual. And so I heard people kind of saying stuff like that. And I go, that's not, the, that's not what I was listening to. And I'm the last person to weigh in. And I said, I don't know, and I don't want to influence anything, but, but a person that's invited in comes through the door. A person that's not invited in breaks in through the window. And when they put the little boy on the stand, the eight-year-old boy, and he said that his daddy told him to stay in his room and don't make a sound, and even though he could hear mommy crying, don't do anything, I'm fairly sure that that was not consensual. I don't know about you, Consensual, if it doesn't come through the door and comes through the window, she's lost all her power to say no, and she's just frightened. I'm not getting it. And then the, we looked at some other transcript and went back around, and everybody says, and they went around again, everybody says, well, I liked what he said, and I'm going to change my vote. And I like what he said, too. And everybody, we, everybody unanimously voted to convict. And we did. And a part of me is saying, don't, don't go by what I say, because this guy was facing 30 years in jail. This is serious. And I felt really bad that, that what I'm going to say or maybe I'm a part of sending somebody away for a long time when we're kind of not sure. So we convicted him, and the judge thanked us for our, our work and said, go back to the jury room. We'll be back to visit with you in a second. The judge and the lawyers came back to the jury room at the end of it all, and they said, well, what was some of the things you thought about in this? Well, we said the little boy's testimony, the fact that he didn't come to the door, 
the fact that they go good. Because before the case, we kind of figured there was an 85% chance he would be convicted guilty. What? Why didn't you tell us that? Well, we didn't tell you he was HIV positive. We didn't tell you he also broke in and took money for drugs. We didn't, we didn't admit a lot of other evidence because this was about the rape case, not anything else. Well, I wish you would have told us. It would have been a lot easier. But they said you, you kind of basically got the right call. That was my time as a jurist. At, now, my own self-appointed lawyer, you ever notice at the Runza over here that you go down the, from the Runza down that hill, it's 35 miles an hour, but if you're coming the other way, going up the hill toward, it's 25? It is! And so it's after a Friday night football game up here, and I was at the bowling alley earlier, and I realized, I think I left my checkbook there, so I went to the bowling alley and went down. Now, no, I came back in, in that way and then realized I left something in the bowling alley, so I turned right around immediately. And it was 35 coming down, and I assumed it was 35 going up, and they had a speed trap. And they were pulling people over right and left, so beware. And I said, officer, I can see it across the street. It says 35. No, it's 25 this way. Well, that's not right. No, it's not up to us. So he wrote me a ticket. Oh, it's on. It is on. I did not pay the ticket, and I said, I want my day in court. And man, I came, I came, I did research, and it's six-tenths of a mile between that sign and this one, and that we've got a moral obligation, we've got to work together as a community. If you tell me what's wrong, I won't do it. But if you don't tell me that, how am I supposed, oh, I was ready. I came with papers, I had a speech, and I get to court on my date, and the county attorney says, what are you doing here? Well, I'm going to fight a ticket. Tell me the details. Well, in Runza, it's 35 one way and 25 the other. Okay, forget it. We, we're not going to press charges. But I've got this speech. No, we'll just, when the judge says, you're okay dropping the charges, just say yes. And I felt kind of disappointed because I was ready to go. I was ready to fight the law, and the law, well, the law lost in this case. So if any of you get a ticket going up that hill at Runza, I'm your man. Billy, can I give legal advice? Am I, I can't give legal advice officially. The couple of things that I, I realized and no, re-noticed in my time in court was number one, they sure do that thing that you see on movies and TV. That when you become a witness, you, when you go up to the stand, they do that thing. You put your right hand in the air and your left hand on the Bible and they say, do you solemnly swear that the testimony you're about to give is the truth? Help me out. The truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. They do that. They do that. And you, in response to that, say, I do. I do solemnly swear. See, that, that I do part is very important. It's called the assent. It's called the affirmation, and that when you repeat those words with your hand on the Bible, your hand in the air, and you say, I do, and you take your seat, the judge, the first thing he reminds you of, Mr. Lewis, you are now under oath. You're different than you were before a few minutes ago. You are now under oath. You're now in a state of moral obligation and legal obligation to tell the truth. If you don't do it legally, it's called perjury, and you're in big trouble. 
So that's real. That's a real thing. They make you take that. And we see those oaths all the time. When we stand up with our per person that we love on our day of marriage and the preacher, we help exchange vows and we promise to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. And at the end of that, we say, what? I do. We're now under oath to that person. President of the United States takes, takes, takes the oath of office. I do solemnly swear to support, uphold, and defend the Constitution of the United States, so help me God. And then that day, I stood in that baptistry, and they asked me about Jesus. And I said, I do. That I do is incredibly, incredibly important. Second thing is I, there's different types of witnesses in court. You got, number one, you got expert witnesses. You got forensic people. You got medical examiners. You got ballistics experts. And you got just other people that know what they're talking about. And when they speak in court, everybody listens because they're experts. You've got eyewitness, eyewitnesses. Here's what I saw. I was there. I saw this person running out of that building. I, there they are, right there, Your Honor. That's the guy. Okay, I, not you, just typically. You would probably be the last person that would, okay. But that eyewitnesses, this is what I saw. They also have what they call hostile witnesses. Usually, in the, in the rape case, the defendant himself took the stand, talking about how his wife, you know, wanted, begged him for, for sex and things like that, and how just like old times and things like that. And you, you looked at that guy with the lawyer that cross-examined him, and you could tell that guy was lying from a mile away. He was not telling the truth. And, and our, that lawyer tore him apart, questioned everything he said, trying to find stuff because he was not telling the truth. He's a hostile witness. Then you have what you call friendly witnesses. They're up there to tell the truth. And all you got to do is ask them the right question, and they're just going to, they're proud of the fact that they know the truth, and let me tell whoever's listening. See, there's different types of witnesses in courtrooms, and that was fascinating to me. It's fascinating how the guilty are really good at trying to lie because it's what they do. They live in shadows, they live in darkness, and the truth isn't in their life. And it's interesting to me how the people that are uh, friendly witnesses just can't wait to reveal the truth. They can't wait to talk about it. They're proud of it because that's what they know. All right, before I let you go, a couple of takeaways or challenges or whatever we do in here, just a couple of things to think about. Uh, I wanna remind many of us in this room today that we chose to be children of light. Amen? And when we were asked that question about Jesus, we said, I do. And further remind you that whether we gave that answer 44 years ago, four years ago, or four hours ago, as the judge would remind us in court, once we took the oath and somebody came back for the second time, I just want to remind you, you're still under oath. We are still under oath. We are still the children of light in a very dark world, and we are called to be his witnesses. We're called to the stand on his behalf, behalf of his grace, behalf of his power to change lives. We're here to witness his power to destroy, ultimately, spiritual darkness. And we're here to take the stand. So my other question for us as we walk out of here today for me and for you, are we more like a hostile witness or a friendly witness when it comes to our faith? 
Do people have to try to pry out of us the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Are we the type of people that can't wait for the opportunity to talk about our faith? Or are we dancing in between those situations? Depends on what we're comfortable with and what we're not comfortable with. Five years ago, my son was waiting for a second heart transplant. And I promised him at that point that I would do everything I can to try to sign up as many people to be organ donors as I can. How about you guys? You guys organ donors? See me after this. I promised him that. And so I promised that every opportunity, no matter how small the group, how large the group, I would go and tell his story and try to get more donors. So last year, when I got the invitation and the opportunity to go to testify in front of the state legislature of Nebraska concerning a law we were trying to pass that would make it five times easier to people become a donor, I could not wait. I could not wait to get there. I was so excited to tell that many important people my son's story. Couldn't wait. It passed unanimously, by the way. It's very good. You can applaud for that. It's good. To beg for the applause. I couldn't wait to get there. God, in his sense of irony, last night sent me an email from the Live On Nebraska folks, and they said that the Sertoma, the Sunrise Sertoma Club at York that meets at 7 a.m. at your Wendy's on Valentine's Day needs a speaker to talk about organ donation. And I'm going, oh, 7 a.m. to 12 old people that probably aren't even eligible to be organ donors. I said I would go anywhere, any place, no matter how. So I said, yep, but God has a great sense of irony and a sense of humor. He calls you on your stuff, doesn't he? I just want to remind us all that we are, we have a great responsibility to be lights in this world. And we need to shine our lights as brightly as we can. And my prayer, my challenge, my hope for this campus is that today I have that same desire and that you have that same desire when it comes to the life-changing message of the cross and that we can't wait, no matter how big or how small the audience, whether we're speaking to the senators or Sertoma, or we're speaking in chapel or we're speaking to a roommate in private or a teammate, that we take every opportunity that we can to tell the life-changing story of Jesus, how it, how it changed our life and our identity. And we need us all to step up and be ready to take the stand and to be ready to tell the truth, help me out, tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us God. Thank you.